There's been a continual stream of bad news coming at us. Things that have become more and more challenging over the past few weeks. We go to the grocery store and find the shelves empty of basic things. Toilet paper has become more valuable than gold. Who'd have ever thought? Social distancing is a new term. None of us knew what it meant until a few weeks ago. We're washing our hands so much that they're getting chapped. Nagging thoughts fill our minds about what we might have just touched that's going to infect us or others with this virus. We're in the midst of this shelter-at-home order. All of this has already become mentally fatiguing as we have been told that we are still on the uphill part of this journey. The peak has not yet been reached. It's all going to get worse before it starts to get better. Well, when all of this coronavirus stuff started ballooning into what it is now, the book of the Bible that came to mind for me for us to study is the book of the Bible known as the Letter of Joy. Philippians. Joy is something we desperately need in the midst of all of this. Amen? So we're beginning a study through the book of Philippians today. So if you have your Bible, flip over to Philippians. Make your way there. As I tell you the background story that sets the stage for how the letter of Philippians came to be. During the course of what has come to be known as Paul's second missionary journey, when he sailed across the Aegean Sea from Asia Minor to Macedonia, the first significant city that he came to was Philippi, described by Luke in the book of Acts as the, le the leading city of that district. And one of the first people that Paul and his traveling companions got to know in the city of Philippi was a businesswoman named Lydia. As she listened to Paul talk about Jesus, the Holy Spirit opened her heart and she believed, putting her faith in Jesus as her Savior and she became a dedicated follower. Well, Paul then encountered a young female slave who was possessed by a demon who gave her some kind of fortune-telling ability which she was able to tell the future, supposedly, and her owners exploited that, making them a tremendous amount of money. Well, this young woman, being controlled by the demonic spirit, she kept following Paul around the city of Philippi, yelling at him, disrupting his preaching, attempting to destroy his credibility with the people. Well, this went on for several days, and finally, Paul had had enough of it. In the name and in the authority of Jesus, he commanded the demon to leave this young woman. She was immediately freed and put in her right mind. Well, not everyone was happy to see this young woman freed from this demon. Her owners were furious. The way they saw it, Paul had just ruined their cash cow. They grabbed Paul and Silas and they brought them before the city rulers who ordered them to be put in prison after they had beaten them with rods in the public square. Well, while in the prison, Paul and Silas were praying and singing songs to the Lord. When all of the sudden, about midnight, there was an earthquake which broke all of the prison doors open. When the prison guard saw all of the prison doors open, he assumed the prisoners had all escaped. He drew his sword and he was about to kill himself when Paul stopped him and he assured him that all of the prisoners were still there. 
Well, faced with the reality of God in this profound way, trembling with fear, the prison guard, he fell at the feet of Paul and Silas, and he asked, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. The prison guard, he then took them home to his own house. He bandaged their wounds, he fed them, and the prison guard and all of the people in his household became believers in Jesus, and they were baptized. Well, this very diverse group of people formed the beginnings of the church in the city of Philippi. A businesswoman, a young slave girl, and this prison guard. The church of Jesus is the true melting pot of the world. Every stripe, color, and flavor of person is welcome. And the thing that we all have in common, Jesus Christ, is more important than any of our differences. Well, some 10 years later, Paul would find himself in custody at Rome, waiting for his day in court before Caesar to defend himself against accusations that had been brought against him by Jews in Jerusalem. Paul would be imprisoned at Rome for two years as he waited for his day in court. Well, during that time of waiting, Paul, he continued to preach and teach about Jesus to others in whatever ways were available to him. He preached to the Roman soldiers guarding him. He taught the people who came to visit him. He wrote letters to churches and people in other places. Well, one of the churches that he wrote a letter to during that time was the church in the city of Philippi. And we have that letter in our Bible. It's called Philippians. Some of the other letters that Paul wrote during that same time, which we also have in our Bibles, are Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. Well, Philippians is often referred to as the letter of joy. The word joy in its various forms occurs some 16 times in this little three-page letter. It's one of the most positive in tone of Paul's letters. His main focus is not encouraging is his main focus is encouraging the believers in the church rather than confronting false teachers or doctrinal errors or sinful behaviors. The letter is warm and it's personal in nature. The letter of Philippians has some of the most cherished verses in the Bible. I'm sure many of you will recognize at least some of these familiar verses. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Or Philippians 1.21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 3.13, brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Philippians 4.6, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Or Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Philippians 4.11. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Or Philippians 4.13, 
I can do all this through him, Jesus, who gives me strength. And finally, that beautiful poem about Jesus being the ultimate example of humility and servanthood that sits at the center of the letter in Philippians 2.6. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage? Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All that's in the letter of Philippians. Well, let's flip over to the first verse of the first chapter of Philippians. It begins this way. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The first two verses are the greeting of the letter. It follows the standard form of first century letters, which usually started with identifying who the letter was from, then who the letter is to, and finally, a greeting and a blessing. Letters on our own day, they put who the letter is from at the end of the letter, don't they? But they were different then. They said it at the beginning, which actually seems like a better way to go. Paul includes Timothy in his greeting. First, it's apparent that Timothy is with Paul in Rome at the time that he's writing this letter, so he includes him. But second, Timothy was with Paul on that very first visit that he made to the city of Philippi when the church was started back in Acts chapter 16. And he spent some additional time in Philippi serving at the church at least a couple of different occasions. Timothy, he's known personally and loved by the people in the Philippian church. It's interesting that Paul doesn't use his title apostle in the greeting portion of this letter, as he usually does in his other letters to churches. Instead, he refers to himself and Timothy simply as servants of Jesus Christ. This idea of being a servant will be an important theme throughout this letter of Philippians. It's built on the example that Jesus Christ himself has set for us, who, as it says in Philippians 2.6, being in very nature God, humbled himself taking the form of a servant, even going through the humiliation of being killed on a cross, all for our sake. We're encouraged to follow the example of Jesus, as Paul and Timothy are doing here. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. This is really where the rubber meets the road in our life as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, being humble servants, walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Easy to talk about, not always easy to do. It means putting the interests and well-being of others before our own. It means being the one who does the hard and the difficult and the unpopular things that no one else wants to do. It means looking out for the people who everyone else looks past. It means choosing to let the other person take that last slice of pizza. It means letting that other person 
take the last toilet paper roll at the store. Well, who was the letter of Philippians originally written to? It says, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. The Greek word translated into English by the NIV Bible, which is the one I'm reading from, as holy people, is often also translated in English Bibles as saints. Same word, holy people and saints. Were there just some of the believers in the Philippian church that would be considered saints or holy people? I mean, were there some saintly Christians and some not-so-saintly Christians in that church? Now, this might come, of a sh- come as a shock to some of you to hear this, but if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are a saint. If you are a Christian, then you are a saint. The classification of certain believers being saints and others not is purely a human invention. That's not the way the Bible uses the word saint. I know it's hard for some of you to accept it, but I am a saint. I'm Saint Jeff. And if you're a Christian, a believer in Jesus, a Savior, a follower of Jesus, then you're a saint too. The word saint literally means holy one. And in the context in which it's being used here in Philippians, it doesn't refer to the quality of a person's life, meaning the super good and godly ones in the church. Instead, it refers to the status that a person has in Jesus Christ, which is based on the quality of the life of Jesus. Being a saint is something God gives us and makes us in Christ rather than it being something that we earn by being super-duper good. Christians, you are saints, holy ones, set apart as God's precious people. A sidebar on overseers and deacons. Some people try to get really technical and rigid about the various offices of leadership in the local church. Who is what and why and so forth. Don't do that. There's far too much variation in how these terms were used, even in the early church, to justify all of that. The main idea for us to take hold of is this. There is an organization of leadership and responsibility in the church. And that's a good thing and something that we should respect. An organization without organization is not an organization, it's chaos. Some churches are very formal about the titles that they use to refer to various leadership roles in the church. That's fine. Other churches are very informal about the titles that they use for the various roles of leadership in the church. That's fine too. What a church chooses to call various kinds of leaders and classes of responsibility is up to the church, and it's not a big deal. Pastor, reverend, father, priest, bishop, overseer, deacon, elder, coach, leader, teacher, coordinator, captain, principal, or whatever other names you want to come up with. It's all fine. Just respect it. 
See, if you're all about titles, then you might be failing to understand one of the most fundamental teachings of Jesus. Do you remember how Paul referred to himself in the opening words of the letter of Philippians here? He says, as a servant of Jesus Christ. And by, an ex- by extension, as a servant of the church. See, if we're a ladder climber in the church, then we n- probably have no business being in leadership in the church. Ladder climbing has no place in the church. Leaders in the church are servants, not power mongers, not ladder climbers. We're here to serve the Lord and each other, not ourselves. The opening blessing of the letter is the usual one that Paul includes in his letters, grace and peace. Now, something interesting about this blessing is that it's a combination of both the standard Greek and standard Jewish blessings of the day. The usual Greek blessing was grace. The usual Jewish blessing was peace or shalom. Paul has taken these two standard blessings of the day and combined them, making a new blessing, conveying the idea that the gospel of Jesus Christ, salvation is for all people, both Jew and Gentile. Through Jesus Christ, God has made it possible for all of us to have a relationship with Him. We have all been given the same opportunity to know God through Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.28 says, There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I love the way Paul, he manages to tuck this important truth right into the opening blessing of his letters. Now for the believer, grace is God's kindness and mercy and love freely given to us, purely by his own choice and initiative, rather than because we deserve it or we have earned it in some way. Peace is the inner wholeness and calm that comes from being in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. There's Now, reconciliation with God through Jesus. Peace has been made. God's holy judgment has been appeased. Guilt has been removed. Where there was once hostility, there is now friendship. The offended God has become our loving Father. We've been adopted as sons and daughters. And now peace is experienced in our deepest being. What greater blessing can we as followers of Jesus, receive then the grace and the peace of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Every good thing that we can imagine are contained within His grace and His peace. The letter then in verse 3 continues. Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel All of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. 
What we have in these verses is a personal thanks from Paul for the support that the church in Philippi has given him. They have provided financial support on several occasions, including now while he's in custody in Rome. It's obvious from the way he writes and what he writes that there is a real connection between Paul and the believers in Philippi. They love one another. There are two things that stand out in these verses that I want to call our attention to before we move on. First, notice how Paul calls them partners with him in the gospel in verse 5, and he says they are sharing in God's grace with him in verse 7. See, through their prayers and encouragement and financial support, they are considered partners with Paul, sharing in the work God is doing in and through Paul's life and ministry. Look at what Paul says later in the letter, making reference to their financial support in Philippians 4.15. He says, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. See, not all of us have the same gifts and abilities. Some of us are skilled evangelists, and some of us are not. Some of us are gifted teachers, and some of us are not. Some of us are tremendous administrators, and some of us are not. Some of us are skilled musicians, and some of us are not. Some of us are craftsmen, and some of us are not. Some of us are gifted in some special way for ministry of a particular kind, which others of us are not. But our lack of these gifts and abilities doesn't have to exclude us from being partners and sharers in the work that the Lord is doing through these other people. See, through our prayers, our encouragement, our financial support, we share and participate in the good work the Lord is doing. We're all on the same team. And see, it doesn't matter who scores the touchdown. The touchdowns benefit the whole team. We're all partners, all partakers. And that's part of what Paul is saying here. Now, the second thing that I want to call our attention to is verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This is one of the most encouraging verses in the entire Bible for followers of Jesus Christ. I've never met a genuine follower of Jesus who didn't have a sincere heart's desire to please the Lord with their life, to love Him more and more, to become more connected with Jesus, to be more like Jesus in every way they can think and act. These are the things that our heart naturally longs for as followers of Jesus. But there's also the frustrating reality of our old self still present with us pulling on us dragging on us working against us tripping us up splitting our desires reminding us of how far we still have to go if we focus on that stuff 
we can become discouraged with the progress that we have made or not made in our spiritual growth. Just as I have never met a genuine follower of Jesus who didn't want to please the Lord with their life, I've also never met a genuine follower of Jesus who was completely satisfied with their progress that they've made in their spiritual growth. But what does Philippians 1.6 say? It says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The Greek word translated into English as being confident, it means to be absolutely convinced about the certainty of something. What is it that Paul's absolutely convinced is going to happen? That God is going to complete the good work that he started in our life. Who started the good work of salvation in you and me? Who brought us to life spiritually, put the Holy Spirit in us, gave us a new heart which wants to please God, causes love, peace, joy, kindness, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control to be growing in us. Who's done all of that and more? The Lord. We didn't do it. He did it. The Lord has started a beautiful, wonderful, amazing good work inside of you. He's continuing to do a good work inside of you. And here's the great promise. Here's the thing that you can be absolutely convinced is going to happen. The Lord is going to finish the good work that He started in you. You're going to be complete and whole. You're going to be perfect. You're going to be glorious. When the Lord finally reveals His finished work that He's done in you, it's going to take people's breath away. Paul reminds us in Philippians 2.13, for it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. Well, with that in mind, consider now the beautiful prayer that continued, the beautiful prayer for continued spiritual growth in these next verses in Philippians 9 through 11. It says, and this is my prayer, that, you, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This prayer is for us too, not just the people in the church of Philippi in the first century. We pray that our love for the Lord and His people will abound more and more. We pray that we will continue to grow in our knowledge and depth of insight about the Lord and His ways. We pray that we will continue to grow in our discernment of things in this life, choosing what's best for our spiritual progress in Christ. We pray that we will continue to grow in holiness, in moral purity, in godliness. We pray that we will be filled more and more with the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of righteousness produced by Him coming to us through Jesus Christ. And we pray that it's all for the glory and the praise of God, our Father. Amen. Amen. Well, the worship team is going to come back and lead us in a closing worship song.
Father, we, we thank you for this letter of Philippians and the words of encouragement that it speaks to us. Lord, and in particular today, that profound truth that you're going to complete the good work you've started in us. You're not going to leave us undone, Lord. You're not going to leave us unfinished. You're not going to forget where you left off. You're going to take us each and make us into beautiful, unimaginably glorious creatures that you have in mind for each. I pray that you would encourage your people this morning with that truth. In Jesus' name, amen.